All right, so I can't help myself. How do uh, hockey players kiss? They pucker up. All right, what's one more? One more. Um, um, what does a Pittsburgh Penguin fan do after he watches his team win the Stanley Cup? He turns off his Xbox because the Preds are going to win, right? That's right. All right. Go ahead, kids. We'll dismiss you. Get out of here. Go to your kids' praise. If you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 6. Let's dive right in together. You can follow along on the string if you'd like to. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his, what are those two words? Wonderful grace. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? There's one in every class. Uh, In our student ministry, it's usually Josh. I love Josh. Uh, teachers, uh, teachers know what I mean. There's always one, right? Like there's always that one that, that has the questions, that's uh, causing problems, that's stirring up stuff of right when you're right on the point, they're the one that takes you on a complete side trip and have this incredible ability to take people with them. You know who I'm talking about. Paul in chapter five has just uh, given this awesome teaching about wonderful grace and how it's extended to all of us. All of us had this sin through Adam. It it came where all Adam, it affects all of us and the penalty of, of sin is death, but God through Christ Jesus extended his wonderful grace to us. And Paul ends chapter five by, by essentially by essentially saying like, like, man, where sin abounded, where sin grows, grace superabounded, grace far extends it, and you can't sin enough for grace not to cover it. And then the wise guy in class says, well, man, if sin produces grace, shouldn't we be sinning all the time, right? You see what I'm saying? Like Paul had these same, Paul had Josh in his class. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he figured this whole thing out. Like, well, if grace is so great and sin produces great, shouldn't we just sin all the time? Look how much grace we would make. Of course not. Right? Of course not. And Paul goes on to say, how can you live a life That's already over. You can't live in a way you have already died to. So let's talk about life and death. Look at these next few verses, verse three and four out of chapter six. Or have you forgotten that when we joined with Christ in in baptism, we joined him in his what? Death. For we, what's that word? Died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we 
also may live. These are two important words. You need to highlight them. What are those two words? New lives. I love how Paul approaches this as a teacher. He says, oh, you must have just forgotten. (laughs) Your memory is just not what it used to be. You must have forgotten what happens when you are baptized. When you go under the water in baptism, and that word baptism literally means immersion, and that's why it's not a hot tub in our in our worship center here. It's um, not that it hasn't been used for that. I'm just saying that's not what its purpose is. It's just here, and I'm here all by myself all week long. But in yeah, it's a baptistry for immersing people in water. That was Jesus' command: go make disciples and baptizo, immerse them. And it's Paul's understanding of this is when you go under that water, when, when water surrounds you completely, it's like dirt being shoveled into your grave. Literally, if you look back at that text, it says, we are dead and buried with Christ. And why do we have to die? That's the penalty of sin. That's how much it cost. But Christ, who was sinless, i.e., he, he owed sin nothing, paid the price for our sin, and entered our death. And here is the really good news. If, if you remember nothing else from our Romans teaching series, I know Romans carries with it all these connotations in our world, but if you remember nothing else, you need to remember that Romans is fundamentally about good news, It is a good news letter. And the good news is not only did Jesus die for us and pay the price for our sin, he defeated death and sin by the glorious power of the Father who raised him to new life. Just as Jesus was resurrected to new life, it says, now we also may live new lives. As you are lowered into death because of your sin, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you are raised to new life. Let's keep reading, verse 5 through 10. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might not lose, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again Death no longer has any power or claim over him. Paul addresses this idea again and again. Oh, shoot, verse 10, here it is. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Paul addresses this idea of sin again and again, and I know it makes us a little bit uncomfortable But sin is this thing that creates distance, anything that creates distance between us and God. uh, It it draws us away from God, which is life, the way, the truth, and the life. Sin draws us to something else, causes 
puts us into this place of, of death where the penalty of sin is death. And I know we've addressed this again and again, and Paul seems to address this idea again and again, that our attitude towards sinfulness is some kind, sometimes kind of lax. Like, like our, our sin is just a bad habit. Like, like biting our fingernails. Or, or somehow, like sin is this like part-time, occasional, you know, every now and then I sin. It's not who I am. It's not, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal. And Paul wants to challenge that idea. And if you look carefully in his word, he says, Paul states that we are slaves to sin. It's not just like a part-time gig but that idea of, of slavery, the idea of being shackled, shackled to something is, is an idea that, that you, you have no choice. Slaves, slaves have no will. They, ha- they have no choice. A slave doesn't, doesn't show up at 8 o'clock for work and get off at 5 o'clock and make whatever choices or decisions they want. Like, like, like a Slaves belong to something 24-7 under, under uh, or having complete control over us. It is, it is total ownership. And, and any desire on our part, remember what the, the, the troublemaker at the beginning of class said, well, shouldn't we just keep on sinning? Paul says, man, that, that would be like saying, well, I, well, I want to put the, sla- the shackles of slavery back on. Man, I've been freed from, from slavery, but I just, it was so great. I can't wait to be a slave to that thing that's going to kill me again. And he says, any desire you have to like keep sitting is, is like trying to put grave clothes back on and, and then cover yourself with dirt. Like any desire to continue in sin after you have been literally raised with Christ is, is like trying to climb back into your own coffin. When we died with Christ, we were set free. Did you catch that? The language of slave and free is so prominent in this text. Like something had complete, 100%, 24-7 control over you, and now you're free of it. That power that was over you has been completely broken. So that made me think of uh, Yosemite Valley. I think I have a picture of it. Have you guys ever been? Uh, ever? I know we're all from the buckle of the Bible Belt, but... There's this place called California. It's fun. You should go visit. I, honestly, I love California. I don't want to live there, but I think it's awesome. Uh, they got uh, uh, really fun beaches, and, and they've got cool mountains. In the middle, it's nothing but desert. It looks just like Texas in the middle, I promise. Uh, but they got if you stay on the beach, it's, it's really fun, and uh, uh, they've got these really cool mountains. There's this place called Yosemite Valley. Uh, they've got some cool rocks. Um, at the one in the very back is a, is a rock called Half Dome. Uh, my wife and I, we actually climbed that in one day. It was 16 miles, almost straight, uh, 16 miles round trip. Uh, yeah, we were dead. That was a horrible idea. Um, we climbed from the valley floor all the way to the top. And uh, Yosemite Valley is just an incredible place. I mean, uh, if you've ever been, like, the, the majesty of God's creation and his workmanship there blows me away. But uh, right over here on this side, uh, what looks like a, 
a kind of a helmet almost is a is a one big rock, and it's called El Capitan. You guys know El Capitan. So El Capitan is uh, 3,000 uh, vertical feet. I mean, 3,000 more than half a mile straight up. Uh, a true story. When I was there, and I was got a little bit too excited, I I free climbed about 50 feet up El Capitan. That was so dumb. That was so dumb. And Amy was sitting at the bottom like, he's going to die. Do we have life insurance? Like that whole nine yards. So, um, so I want to introduce you to a guy. This is Alex Honnold. Uh, you guys ever hear, hear of Alex Honnold? Um, Alex Honnold is a professional climber. But he specializes in one in particular type of climbing. It is called free soloing. So free soloing is a type of climbing that you climb without a rope or any kind of protection. Um, he's crazy. <laughs> um, and just this past week, Alex Honnold, for the first time ever, 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 free soloed El Capitan. Actually, uh, there's a, a National Geographic did a did a whole thing because they love to video people doing stupid stuff. But here's 30 seconds of him on El Capitan. So um, how many of you uh, want to uh, practice free soloing? It's really fun. Um, no, like that's, this, this guy's crazy, like, right? Like he's, did you see how high he was? In a, and, and you would think, so he's a pro climber, like he's legit, he's awesome. You would think, well, he's free soloing 3,000 feet, more than half a mile straight up. You think he would choose the easiest route. No, he took one of the hardest. And in the middle of the route, the hardest section is a, it's a, the, they would call it the crux, is a V7 move. So he's actually free soloed a bunch of stuff, and that's, that's much easier for him to climb. Like it's, it'd be like walking down the street for us. Like it's just super easy. It's below his, his skill ability, and like, uh, uh, you know, he could, he could, he's free soloed stuff that he's never ever fallen on before, right? Super easy. This move, the V7, the crux, right in the middle, he falls on all the time. So, uh, Alex Honnold made me think about this, this verse, partly because I love climbing. Um, but he reminded me kind of of a, of a great truth, um, is that life and death really has very little to do with our heartbeat. You know, if there's an accident, the first thing that happens is somebody runs to the scene and they check the pulse, Right? But I think life and death really has very little to do with if your circulatory system is working or if your, your heart is in rhythm. I think the life and death Paul speaks of and, and, and Jesus offers is, is something so much greater. 
In fact, I, I would go on to tell you that, that you, you may die long before your heart stops beating. Have you seen this happen? Uh, some people think that uh, Alex Honnold has a death wish, and he may, he may die. There are good odds he's going to die doing it. But he would tell you he really has a life wish. That who he is and that part of him that, that makes him who he is feels most alive when he's doing what he feels like he's been given to do. And the reality is the only way you can climb a 3,000-foot wall without any kind of protection is that, that the truth is that Alex Honnold dealt with the whole idea of death a long time ago, right? He can't do what he's doing and just constantly be thinking about, well, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, right? Like, like he's already gotten over this whole idea of death. And I think, honestly, if, I, if I'm truthful, I think Christians should deal with death, uh, should have dealt with death a long time before their heart stops beating, right? Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've witnessed it personally yourself of being around, uh, I get to see it sometimes with men and women in the hospital, men and women in their last hours, and they're the most at peace ones in the entire room. Have you seen this happen? Yeah. Life and death for them is this whole other thing has very little to do with their physical body. They've, they've dealt with death long before the moment of their actual physical death. And Paul says, when we died with Christ, we were set free from slavery, from the power of sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free from death. In Galatians chapter 5, I love what it says. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. For freedom Christ has set us free do we really get that do we really get it okay maybe we died with Christ and and as we're raised out of that water we're raised to this new life do we really get that that in Christ we we have uh, not the same old life, but we have, we have a whole new life right before us. That the victory has already been won. I think sometimes Christians forget that we are on the winning team. That, that things you struggle with, that recurring sin, that giant that every one of you is facing, that mountain that you're always up against, do you know that that's already been defeated in Christ Jesus? Do you know that? The, the boogeyman that's lurking in your closet, always ready to jump out and get you, the sin that is calling you and drawing you and tempting you, do you know that that thing has already been defeated in Christ Jesus? That, that that thing is dead already. Maybe it's still calling to you, but it's dead. Think about that for a minute. 
Can you imagine Lazarus trying to put his grave clothes back on and backing back into the tomb and trying to push the stone back in? We sometimes have this weird clinginess to our sin. Sometimes we hold our sin in, in far too high esteem. We, we give it far too much power. Sometimes Christians who have been given new life act like they're dead. And you need to know, if maybe if you hear nothing else this morning, you need to know that that thing that is literally killing you has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. Amen? And maybe it still torments you from the grave or calls out to you or whispers in your ear, but you need to know it. And maybe some of you have said, well, I just have this sin that I keep falling into and I keep finding myself in the sin. I keep finding myself in the sin. I keep finding myself in the sin. Maybe you need to quit fighting and recognize that that battle has already been won. Right? Maybe that's the freedom you need to embrace. Jesus has already, listen to this, listen to this. Jesus has already beat your addiction. Do you believe that? Jesus has already beat your compulsion. He's already beat your lust. He's already beat your greed. He's already beat your body image issues. He's already beat your anxiety. He's already beat your fear. And it's only when you have faith that Jesus has already killed the Goliath in your life that you can begin to live new life. Are you with me? Listen to these last few verses, 11 through 14. So, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of a sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to your sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. These things are already dead. Instead, give yourselves completely to who? For you were dead and now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Maybe some of you need to underline that verse. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the what? Grace of God. The free gift of of God. In scripture, Jesus resurrects uh, uh, actually a couple of different people. You guys remember this? Like Jesus is resurrected, but, but before we even get to that moment, Jesus, like this, this resurrection power of Jesus just kind of ekes out of him almost unexpectedly sometimes. There's a centurion's daughter that everyone is dead, is dead, is dead, and Jesus says, no, 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 she's just asleep. Watch this. There is a widow uh, marching out of town with professional mourners. They're crying out and mourning, and uh, Jesus and his disciples hear him before they even get to the town. And when he gets to the town, there's literally like a funeral procession, and the guys are carrying the widow's son on a coffin. And Jesus says, well, well, let me talk to him. And he walks up and literally out of the coffin raises the widow's son. Lazarus himself has been dead for how many days? 
three days. He ain't just a little bit dead. He's the whole thing, right? Like dead and stinky and not pleasant at all. And Jesus shouts at Lazarus's tomb. Lazarus, come out. And he does. And I'm running away at this moment because I don't know what to do if I'm there. You know, like, but have you ever thought of, like, these people that Jesus gave new life, did you ever think, like, what was the next day like for them? Right? <laughs> like, did Lazarus just go back? Well, it's just another day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes we're way too... You know, we give sin way too much power in our life, and we don't even stop to imagine the possibilities of the new life that God has given us. When, when Jesus resurrected these people, like, 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 how did those people, I want to know the rest of the story. How did the widow's son live now? Do you think his life was just the same as it was before, or was it somehow magically transformed and completely different? Was it just another day or did they have the, the, the perspective that all who have come face to face with death have? Have you come face to face with death before? Like um, the example I give is, uh, um, have you ever been, been leaving a funeral or walking out of a funeral or maybe you're like in the car ride home from a funeral and, and in your mind you're making promises to yourself? Have you ever done this? You come face to face with death, and then what it gives you is this like whole new appreciation of life. Have you ever had that happen? Somehow it reorients all of the priorities you're thinking about. Like you walk out of a funeral, make it promises to yourself that, man, I'm going to make every moment count. Have you ever made that promise? Uh, I'm going to tell the ones. Uh, I, I'm going to tell the ones that I love that I love them. Have you ever made that promise? You walk out with this sense of, "Hey, time is not infinite, but but time here in this form, in this shape, is temporary, and and the clock is ticking, and I'm going to make every moment count." And Paul says, "This is the life that God has." come to give you. So just a couple questions as we wrap up our time. Maybe the first question is, uh, have you dealt with death yet? Physically, it's going to come for all of us, right? Have you dealt with what that's going to be like? And the, the time that you have between this moment in that moment, uh, Eugene Peterson, awesome theologian, he just tweeted this very week. He said, the, the, that's the whole spiritual life. It's learning how to die. Have you? Maybe you've been baptized, but, but after you were baptized, did you start something new and different? Or does it really look pretty much just like that same old Thing. And maybe it's a hard question, but, but have you really died with Christ? Do you really have this sense that, that, that you've died to sin, died to that old way of life? 
And, and to, to really, truly grasp that, like, do you believe a great victory has already been won for you? Do you believe what it said? That you're free from slavery, free from the power of sin through Christ Jesus. Are you living like someone who is already won? You're free. Jesus calls out the tomb of Lazarus, calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. And he did. And Paul reminds us in this part of Romans that Jesus is calling you too. He reaches into the dirt, into the coffin, and invites us through faith to take his hand and experience new life. And if you want to live it, experience it for yourself, all that is required is the faith to take his hand and trust him, to believe that he has already defeated your giants. In just a minute, we're going to enter into a time of communion. It's part of our tradition, and we've got stations set up around the room with the elements of communion, the elements of Christ's body and blood broken for us. For us, it's a, it's a time to, uh, to literally share Christ. So I invite you to share Christ with those around you. Uh, maybe uh, you need to say, uh, maybe you need to share um, what Christ has given you victory over. Might be a good place to start. Or maybe you need to share with someone around you that thing that uh, you need to die to again. However you share, however you enter into this time, I pray that you would do so pursuing new life. Favorite thing that Jesus ever said is that I've come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of Romans and uh, the way you use Paul to, to share your message. And I pray, God, that uh, as, as powerful and as relevant and authentic and, and meaningful as that, that message was to men and women living in Rome all those years ago, that that same message, that same meaning, that same spirit would pe somehow penetrate us. Father God, maybe there's a struggle that we have, and God, we just need to give you the victory over it. We just need to acknowledge that, hey, this thing is in my life, but, but it has already been defeated through your son, Jesus. And so, Father God, maybe we just need to celebrate uh, these things, the, this thing that you've already done. Father God, maybe there's some of us here that have been given this gift of new life, and we don't know what to do with it. And maybe we're just feeling timid or afraid or, or scared. And so, Father God, uh, I pray that you would give us courage to live the kind of life that you promised that we wouldn't fall back into just kind of habits or routines or what's familiar, but that we would pursue the kind of freedom, the kind of life that you came to give. It has very little to do with, with our heartbeat. Father God, I pray that uh, you would move through us and through this church. Let us be known as a place that is life-giving, that your message, your word, your promise is fundamentally about life and life to the full. Father God, all of this is possible only through your son, Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, in a very real way. And uh, as he was re resurrected, so 
are we all? So let us, Father God, live as men and women of the resurrection. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,